Hello, and welcome to IRI Growth Insights, featuring IRI thought leaders, industry partners, and guests. For more than 40 years, IRI has been known for its invaluable data, but these podcasts delve into the insights the data reveal to fuel market disruption and market growth for those in the CPG, retail, healthcare, and media markets. I'm your host, Joan Driggs, coming to you from IRI's corporate headquarters in Chicago. Welcome to Season 2 of SnackCast, Snack International's podcast dedicated to all things snacks. I'm your host, Joni Spencer, Director of Content and Partner at Avant Food Media. This season, Snack is delivering bite-sized insights, a Snackspo special edition. Due to COVID, Snackspo, the industry's only vertically integrated supply chain convention, has been rescheduled to August 22nd through 24th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Between now and then, Snack is committed to providing you with the insights you expect to gain at Snackspo on topics such as snack category trends in the U.S. and abroad, critical regulatory developments, and the impact of a changing retail landscape. What better way to kick off this season than a conversation with a Snackspo favorite, Sally Lyons-Wyatt, Executive Vice President and Practice Leader of Client Insights at IRI. Sally is a recognized food and beverage thought leader in the CPG and retail industries and a frequent keynote speaker and authority on consumer eating and shopping trends. Sally, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I want to take a look back really quickly at 2020 and just sort of recap with the Snackcast how we sort of got launched. We started with a series on women in snacks, which is Snack International's Wins Network. And that's an area where female and male leaders shared sessions from their career journeys. So as we kick off this discussion about snack trends, I really feel like I need to point out that you are a very recognized and admired woman in the snack industry. And I have to say that includes myself. I am so excited and honored to get to interview you today. I've seen you present at Snackspo several times. And so this is truly an honor. But I just thought we could take a minute and sort of reflect on your career journey and talk about how you came to your current position as executive vice president and practice leader. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the kind compliments and the honor is truly mine. So I'm thrilled to be here. And, you know, the roads to my current role took a lot of turns before I got to where I am today. And I'm sure that's the same with so many people. And after a few jobs in different industries out of college, um, I actually started in the CPG industry. And one of the themes that has really been part of who I've become in the industry has been all around innovation. So the companies that I've worked for, they've been very innovative, um, whether that's through the services or solutions that they have, or even packaging innovation. So in addition, I just have this innate curiosity to study consumers. It is just, it's in me. And I love to understand what it is that consumers do, what they where they go, how, what they consume. And it's just fascinating because 
what I have found is it's always changing. It's always evolving and it just, it makes it fun. So when you think about where I got to, the driving forces that I've had before even IRI kind of got me working in different aspects of the industry. IRI was founded on innovation and we continue to innovate each and every year. The people that I work with are amazing. The fact that we're a big data house on an innovative platform, uh, it's really kind of like a kid in a sandbox. So as I think about it and I'm talking to you, it's, it's just because this role that I have, it combines the ability for me to work with and manage a high-performing team, understand what consumers are doing across different data sets that we have. And then being able to work with great partners, especially in the snack industry. Um, so in addition, I get to provide thought leadership in our industry around these consumers. And, and that truly is one of my passions. And it's really the perfect job for me because it brings my strengths together. But yet at the same time, it challenges me every day. Well, I admire you very much. And I, I appreciate your insight. You're somebody that I think a lot of people sort of clamor to hear because you are so in tune with consumer behavior. And it really brings a lot of useful insight into these snack companies. And so I think that's a great segue to talk about snacks. <laughs> so the first question that I want to ask, I want to actually take two steps back because 2020 is kind of its own separate animal. So let's look prior to 2020 and just kind of paint a picture for me as to how you've seen the snack category change over the course of your career leading up to 2020. Joni, it's funny because when you think about it, 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 it really has all kind of unfolded in the last 10, 15 years. <laughs> so when, uh, when you think about, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, right, um, consumers were still predominantly eating three meals a day and having a snack or two between meals. And those were predominantly done in the afternoon and evening. And those were the two prime times, right? Like if you could win the afternoon and evening and snacking at that point in time, you were like winning and you were growing and it was great. But then when you think about the categories that they were consuming at that point, that was a much smaller universe than it is today. And so the universe might be kind of those savory snacks like salty snacks and crackers and then sweet snacks that might be snack cakes and cookies. So that consideration set was much smaller. But as life as we knew it began to be more mobile and especially through the adoption of handheld technology, that led to a dramatic evolution in snacking because people were then free to roam and they were not just tethered to a desk in an office or tethered to their home. You know, they were able to get out. And it's interesting because when we started the 2020, so before COVID, there were 42% of consumers snacking three plus snacks per day across the day. When you think about it, just 15 years prior, you were snacking one or two at a max, right? So that is incredible in and of itself. And then since the numbers have been hovering, that 42% of consumers um, snacking three plus snacks a day, we've been hovering over similar numbers for several years. So I started 
um, the year of 2020 saying snacking was a lifestyle and consumers snack all throughout the day. And it's been fascinating to see how that evolution has really kind of changed and eating habits have changed over the course of time. In just 10 years ago, so 2010, 7% of consumers were snacking in the early morning. And then in 2020, it was 22%, from 7 to 22% in 10 years. But even more incredible is the afternoon, because remember, that was one of the primary times consumers have snacked for decades. And in 2010, it was 51% of consumers snacking in the afternoon. And in 2020, it had jumped 10 percentage points in 10 years to 62%. So the last 10 to 15 years have made a positive mark in the snacking industry, hands down. And I really can't wait to field the survey in February to unveil the findings of how snacking habits evolved throughout 2020 amidst COVID, because I know they're going to be different. Right. I've, I've got two observations from what you said, and I'll start with the 2020 research coming out in February. And I'm almost inclined to guess that we're going to see there was that massive change, like you said, over the course of 10 to 15 years, there was this incredible change. I wonder if we're going to see that kind of like 10 years worth of change crammed into one year based on how things change so drastically in 2020. You know, it is going to be interesting. I I think one of the things that occurred last year that was a positive tailwind for snacking was the fact that consumers were at home. They weren't on the go. So they didn't necessarily stop snacking. It's just there were things that impacted and changed their snacking. So I think that's what we're going to see. And I'm also going to be curious because we also know a lot of consumers found their inner chef and Mm -hmm. they were cooking and baking. So it's going to be really fun to understand how that changed the selections of snacks that they chose. Right. So, okay. So you mentioned that people were staying home in 2020 and that leads me to the second observation from your first comments. And that is what you said about mobile technology. And that sort of lit a light bulb over my head because I hadn't yet made a connection between snacking habits and mobile technology. Have you seen any kind of correlation with the speed of technology change with cell phones and handheld devices and mobile communication with snacking? Because you mentioned that the mobile technology freed us to be on the go. And then how did it change? Did it stick once we had to stay home? Do I have research that connects the cell phone evolution with snacking? And the answer would be not directly, just indirectly and more just from me living through studying this for, you know, I'm a student of snacking, like just (laughs) studying it now for 20 years. And I do think that The choices that consumers made over the course of 10 to 15 years were made because there was more snacks available and more categories getting into snacking. And so the evolution of the phone didn't necessarily dictate the evolution of snacking because snacking really, I mean, you've seen it. There are more and more manufacturers jumping into snacking because that's where it's at. They know consumers are are eating either smaller portions throughout the day, or eating three meals and still snacking throughout the day, or blurring their occasions. And it's, you know, there's just, you know, a snack is a meal and a meal is a snack. Like there's 
all of that going on. But part of that is because of just the way in which consumers are consuming foods. But then the other part of it is, you know, mobility is going to be the biggest theme of 21. That's a prelude to August. I will be talking about mobility and the impact that it either has had in the first six months of 21 or hasn't. But that, I think, if you think about part of how snacking had a tailwind for the last 10 to 15 years, mobility is a, a theme that I think is worthy of noting. So I know you you have a lot of research yet to pour through, but just from what you observed in 2020, what are some of the biggest impacts overall that you saw COVID make on the performance of the snack category? Yeah, it's a good question. And there was a lot. So first of all, we've just talked about a little bit of it, which is the COVID restrictions really moved a large percentage of out-of-home snacking to in-home snacking. And a lot of, you know, you think about it, you had kids at home doing remote learning, adults working from home. And one of the implications of that is it led to large sales increases of those larger pack sizes and multi-packs. So a lot of the snack categories were able to see not only growth, but growth was really within their larger pack sizes. Another was um, the unfortunate reduction of traditional impulse because consumers, when they were in the store, they were trying to get in and get out because they just didn't want to get ill. And I think one of the points of this is for a few years, I've been telling the industry, there's four different ways consumers shop and consume. So there's the traditional planned, like they make a list. Then there's traditional impulse. You're in a store, you see something, you just hadn't had on your list, so you grab it. There's on-demand, and then there's experiential. This on-demand is now more prevalent than ever because of what happened with COVID. So when you indeed wanted foods or snacks, you would get on your computer or your phone, and you would order them to either go pick them up or to be delivered. So on-demand became a huge in 20. So the, the idea there is, is that, you know, as you think about it, you've got to find a way to get both to really continue to grow, but we can get to that later. Another impact was around heavy emphasis on indulgence. So indulgent snacking had a gangbuster year. And some of that was because it was consumers had bought indulgent products for years and they just bought more of them. Um, but the other was because consumers were looking for comfort and nostalgia and, and we all found that. And so the flip of that... <laughs> is that when you think about, we talked about people were baking more and they were cooking more and they found their inner chef and they were eating more. And that meant that people were gaining more weight for some consumers in the US. I've heard it called COVID-15. I've heard it called COVID-20. I can tell you, I fell into, I personally fell into the COVID-15 camp, but then, and this was the flip of this indulgent story, but then I started to eat differently and choosing different snacks to assist me on my journey to try and lose those 15 pounds. And I know I'm not unlike a lot of consumers because I see it every day with friends and family. And so this impact then found that there are snacks that aligned with different self-directed diets that are doing extremely well, ranging from one to 13% growth. And so I think you see both sides of those spectrums, whether it's the indulgence having just a huge year in 20, and then even snacks that are a little bit on the healthier side that are assisting people with different journeys, whether it's diets or even sustainability. 
um, or even managing preventing disease states because that didn't stop. I mean, you didn't go into the COVID year a diabetic and then not a diabetic. You were, you know, you continued. You didn't go in gluten-free, you know, and finding it needing to find having a gluten intolerance and then get into COVID and that suddenly went away. People still had to do that. So you you still saw those snacks still having um, good increases. And then occasions were different because you didn't have all the out-of-home occasions. They became more in-home occasions. And that also led to some different ways and creative ways consumers engaged with snacks and embraced snacks. There's many more different types of occasions like the fact that TV watching was, you know, the pastime. You couldn't go to a movie theater. So you did a lot of TV watching, which meant that those snacks that you could have with you as you were sitting in your chair or your sofa or on the floor and, and watching shows or movies, those snacks that you could get to, they became fan favorites through 2020. I could continue to go on, but the last one I'll mention <laughs> is innovation. And although there were companies that decided to not launch, you know, once we got into the restricted times, there were some companies that did launch and consumers were looking for something to get excited about. And I know this sounds silly. I'm sure as I'm saying, I'm about to say it out loud, but they would get excited that there would be something new in the store. And I, I'm a mom of teenage boys. I cannot tell you how many times they would be like, can you please get something different? So innovation became exciting. And so I just think there's this dynamics of 20 that were devastating and daunting and just terrible with what we witnessed. But for the snacking industry, there's just some new love of snacks that, you know, I think do think overcoming the growth is going to be tough in 21, but not impossible because of the, uh, the lifestyle that we have. I think it changed that it was more in home, but I don't think it changed that people ran away from snacks. I think they embraced them. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I have to say, I can empathize with the mom, can you just get something different from the store? So there definitely, I can see where the craving for change to break up the monotony of having to be at home all the time impacts food choices and snack choices. That makes a lot of sense to me. So my next question is, with all of these changing behaviors and snack food having such a big role in American households now, what advice would you have for snack producers to be able to deepen the connection and better engage with consumers as we move into this world of one, living inside of a pandemic and, and being now comfortable with it? And then two, hopefully in a post pandemic world. Yeah, you know, I mentioned it a little bit when I talked about on-demand, but online adoption accelerated in 20, and it really changed the game in channel selections. There was a lot of channel switching in 20 um, that occurred. And so I think when you think about what do snack producers need to do, one is really vet their channel strategy because um, it needs to be omni-channel. And it needs to be crossing not just traditional channels, but also any channels that consumers could be going to. Because what we found is there are some consumers that like the one-stop shop. They might click online and get it. But then we found that some consumers can't get everything in that regard. And they might go to a smaller outlet 
because they feel like, you know what, if I go to a smaller one, there won't be as many people and I won't be at, at, at such a high risk when I go to a larger store. So I think vetting the channel, your omni-channel strategy and really kind of honing in on the availability of your products, no matter where the consumer might be. That would be number one. Number two is what we found in 20 is that there were a lot of new consumers or lapsed consumers that came into brand and or corporate portfolio franchises. And meaning that because they were at home and because they were doing, Joni, what you and I were doing, which was trying to do some new things that maybe we hadn't bought, we're new consumers to some of these brands. Well, that means these snack producers need to go find us and talk to us. Thank us for, for buying their brand. You know, give us an incentive to buy different ones or more. Tell us about their company. What are they doing? What might benefit myself and my family? Really engaging. Leverage digital and social Leverage the ability to use targeted audiences with your your media selections. I think that that would be one thing because you've got new, you've got like relapse, meaning they've bought before and then they came back. And then you might lost some. You need to go find who you might have lost and see if you can't bring them back. So that's that's one. Because of the online adoption, the other thing that we've been urging every manufacturer to do with their retailers is work on the search engine. Because oftentimes consumers might search for an attribute. You know, I mentioned gluten-free before, or they might be looking for products with vitamin C, or they may be just looking for something savory, right? So there are different trigger words than target words that manufacturers need to work with the retailers to make sure they align with their products because online adoption isn't going to go away, right? Consumers are going to do it. So you need to make sure that those keywords that you want to align with your products are indeed aligned with the retailer search engines. And then the other piece of this was that innovation. And I will, I'll talk about that in the midst of what consumers can do. It's going to be tough to launch in stores and online. Like that's going to present some interesting dynamics. So you're going to need to tell consumers about it. You can do it with mass options, but also with personalization and really communicating and deepening the connection with the consumer when you do have news, when you do have something different. So those were just a select few ideas that I'm hoping can be helpful. Okay. I feel like three to five years ago, the idea of omni-channel was just put your products in the store and put them online. And just that was kind of it. It's just get your products in as many different places and types of outlets as you can. But now I feel like, is it safe to say that omni-channel now requires a much deeper level of thought and much deeper strategy in order to engage with those consumers? 100%. It does. It's probably, I could spend more time on it, but we're going to run out of time. But (laughs) what you said is exactly true. It is an art and a science because you really want to make sure you have the right products in the right channel at the right price. I mean, it is some of the age old antics that we have had, you know, you want the right product, the right price, the right shelf, all of that. Right. But it's different because of the online dynamic and reduction of the in-store impulse. 
let's talk about that reduction of the in-store impulse because I always was under the impression that the more you buy online, the less opportunity there is for an impulse purchase. But now that online purchasing has become so prominent during the pandemic, how has that concept of on-demand impacted the ability to impulse purchase online? So there is suggestive selling that a lot of retailers will do, and that's kind of become like the new impulse, if you will. So it's suggestive selling, you know, when people have bought this, oh, you know, some people have also bought this. Or, hey, you know, you've bought this in the past, don't forget it, right? Or some manufacturers have opted in to have retailers even just do a suggestion of their product. So I think there are ways to do impulse with online, but it isn't exactly the same as when somebody's in a store. And you've also had self-checkouts that have impacted impulse too, because the self-checkouts don't have as big of check stand options as you do Um, And so that'll be something else we talk about in August, but it's definitely the, the in-store impulse has not only been impacted by the number of people coming in, but also impacted because self-checkouts became so prevalent. And therefore this whole strategy and helping retailers also see the decisions they made were the right ones, like what they've done. But yet then just being able to be those stewards of the snacking industry and helping educate retailers and coming up with creative solutions so that you can get impulse from the traditional way as well as on demand. I think that's where some really innovative ideas and innovative approaches will win the day. I I think I agree with you on that. So overall, what other predictions do you have for 2021 or if you had a crystal ball, what would you say looking forward to August when you present at Snackspo, where do you think we'll be? What are the predictions? Mm. So I wish I did have a crystal ball because then I might not be working, but um, so um, let's see. But in all, in all seriousness, I think overcoming the growth in 2020 for the majority of snack categories, it's going to be tough, but it's totally possible. It is going to take everything we've talked about, an omni-channel strategy. It's going to take innovation. It's going to take the communication with consumers. And above all, it's going to take flexibility because what you're going to see is as consumers start to get this vaccine and they start to feel a little bit more comfortable in getting out, all of a sudden, mobility is going to come back into play. Well, you might have flexed your muscles and put more larger sizes on the shelves. You might have changed your assortment mix during the midst of all the COVID restrictions. Well, then you got to be flexible and be really fast to move to align with the changes the consumer is going to make. Because if they get mobile again, they're going to be looking for those smaller sizes again. And they're going to be picking up some snacks maybe they didn't pick up before. So I think flexibility and fast, fast flexibility will be key. But I do think growth can be had because between all the different outlets. In fact, when you think about the combined growth between in-store and online, Snacks had tremendous growth. So then you just have to look to see how can you continue to encourage consumers to snack throughout the day with the variety of snacks within the industry that we have. And consumers are gonna still be eating. It's just maybe the mix of what they eat might be different. And I think that that will continue. 
The other thing to monitor is just restaurants, quick serve, limited serve, especially when you think about snacking. Mm-hmm. And as that flexibility comes in, because if they start going there, you can start to remind them with digital and social media, hey, don't forget, you can have this and that can be ready for you, just like with the quick serve option. So there's that. And then lastly, probably for the remainder of this school year, we're still going to have a large percentage of consumers doing remote learning, families working out of the home. And so again, that at-home consumption is still going to be big. And by the time we get in August, we're going to start to have a few months under our belt where we're going to get to see, hey, as the, as the world opens back up, what are some of the, the immediate changes we've started to see and be ready for? Hopefully that's helpful. Absolutely it is. And it gets me excited about how things are going to change. And I think that there will be a lot of positive change on the horizon. And as consumer behavior evolves this year, I think that it's going to present a lot of opportunity for the snack manufacturers. And so I'm really looking forward to August because I think you're going to probably have one of the most dynamic pieces of content to present that we've ever seen. So that's very exciting. Oh, thanks, Joni. Well, I'm just going to wrap it up by saying that I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person at Snackspo, August 22nd to 24th in Charlotte and learning all about how things have changed and how we're going to move beyond 2021. Thanks, Joni. I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to it as well. Snackcast is brought to you by Snack International, the trade association for the snack industry. To hear all Snackcast episodes, head over to snackinternational.org. That's S-N-A-C-I-N-T-L dot org slash snackcast. S-N-A-C hyphen cast. Snackcast is also available anywhere you listen to podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Happy snacking! Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.